supposed to be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Five. I'm Glenn Falcon, Simon Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hang loose. And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Stay tight. Now we are having a big week of film reviews because we are covering three, four films this week, three films in cinemas of sorts, and one classic fight, which we promised. Thank you to Sean from Shep. Oh, not Shepherd, sorry. From um, Geelong. It's not from Sean. It's not from He supports Geelong. Um, but yes, Sean from Shepparton. And we are covering Bad Lieutenant Porter Paul New The Orleans. Bad Lieutenant. Because it's one of two films this week that's actually called something different to what the marketing says. This movie is not Bad Lieutenant, it's The Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call New Orleans, and the major film of the week, the big new release, is Martin Scorsese's I Heard You Paint Houses, which is being sold as The Irishman. Wrong, because it is based on the book, I Heard You Paint Houses, which apparently is The title in the film is I Heard You Paint Houses. It It doesn't make a lot of sense to what they've done. It never says The Irishman. It's called I Heard You Paint Houses. But there's an Irishman in it. So yeah, the, the character's called The Irishman. And it, there's the, the, the trailers and Netflix you know, button and the posters say The Irishman. It's kind of like calling The Godfather The Irishman because Tom Hagen was a central character. Well, The, the Irishman was his nickname. Yeah, uh, Frank, Frank Sheeran. Frank Sheeran, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we were also covering later in the program The Report, which is in cinemas later this week. And then on Amazon Prime in two weeks. And Ford versus Ferrari, which is in cinemas on Thursday. Yep. Starring Matt Damon, everyone's favourite, and Christian Bale. But first... Wait, wait, what? How did Matt Damon become everyone's favourite? It was a slight irony. I'm bringing up to obviously his role on 30 Rock, where he played Carol, which is the same name of the character he plays in Ford v Ferrari. Yeah. True. Just a bit of synergy there. Good one, Todd Haynes. First, we're talking about I Heard You Paint Houses, the new film from Martin Scorsese's first in three years and his first collaboration with Rob De Niro or, or Joe Pesci in 24 years since Casino. It is also starring Al Pacino as Jimmy Hoffa, amazing on-screen pairing between Pacino and De Niro. Firstly, it's only the first since Heat, but they have a lot more screen time here. De Niro, as has been referenced, is uh, Frank Sheeran. Ex- excuse me, I think you're forgetting that little, that uh, beloved classic, Righteous Kill, I think it was called. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, everyone forgot about that. Anyway. Um, uh, and also it stars Anna Paquin and Harvey Keitel and a number of others. It is based on the book I Heard You Paint Houses about the life and times of Frank Sheeran and the Teamsters lead and head in the US, Jimmy Hoffer, a figure who, as the film makes reference to, isn't a name that isn't as ubiquitous these days. I certainly grew up knowing who he was. I didn't have as much of a knowledge as I would have having now seen the film and as I would have liked to having if I had read the book, but it goes into quite some detail about this history. It is a crime epic in every sense. Certainly, the seeing Netflix on the big screen, the logo pop up at the Randwick Ritz was something, and it is out on Netflix. It was on, something, but what was it? It was... Look, they gave opportunity, the opportunity to make this film how he wanted, so credit to them. Um, they have allowed it to be released, in limited release, for a week, which is where we caught it at the Ritz. It also played at the Head in the Orpheum, and it is, in, it is on Netflix, streaming from November 27th. It is a three-and-a-half-hour epic, none of which I found tiring boring. I adored this film. It's one of my favorite Scorsese films. I, I well, enjoyed enjoy a lot of his films, and this is certainly up there. It's his ninth collaboration with De Niro. Certainly, they've worked together over many years to great effect with doing Taxi Driver and many more. And I, I was so glad, and I'm so glad I caught this on the big screen. It's definitely the kind of film that you can only do when you have a lot of clout. Um, not because it's some abstract, artsy 
you know, um, unconventional thing. It's definitely <clears throat> a, silence. It silence was more of an art film than this one. Um, silence was much more slow paced, and this one I think is much more focused on entertaining an audience. It's very fast paced. It's full of incident. It's full of action, um, and it's full of comedy, and it has a lot of stuff happening all the time. Um, There's nothing I would have. I, I I feel you could have cut a s- segments of this film, but I'm glad they didn't. There was no segment I felt. Oh, the film was uh, would have been greater had it not been there. It certainly would have been lesser if any of these moments had gone. Yeah, look, the idiosyncrasy of it, the thing that I think Scorsese would have had to contend with if he still had to work for Harvey Weinstein, as it was, you know, making Gangs of New York instead of being given carte blanche by Netflix, is what makes it idiosyncratic really is the length. Because to tell this story, it doesn't have to be of this length. Um, th- this isn't a criticism of the film. I'm just it saying... It could have been a miniseries by all means. Yeah, it, it, it look... In some ways, in its current form, it's too short because you get introduced to these really interesting characters, like the kind of sarcastic, tough, broad type wives early on of some of the gangsters going on a road trip. And then you want to see more about them. Same as Harvey Keitel, played by Angelo, right? He's so interesting. In, in oh, I wish that he'd been in the film. You want to see more of him. More. So in some ways, the current version is kind of too short. But... For what it is, what Scorsese does with the length, as opposed to filling in every detail, is um, he just fills it with incident after incident after incident so that you see tons of adventures um, that Frank Sheeran goes on, as opposed to necessarily... Like, it does have enough space that it's able to really flesh out a few of the characters, like Joe Pesci and Al Pacino, but the length is being used, like, just to give you... I think it kind of has a bit of, like, a pulpy rush to it of like incident after incident and then this happened then this happened then this thing blew up and this guy got hit and this and this and this and this and this it kind of reminded me of black book which is a film that has just so much incident so it's like one thing after another after another after another after another so then finally when this film towards the end it settles into something slower and more meditative i think just being three and a half hours long had gave scorsese the freedom to do an everything in the kitchen sink approach you know, it's a movie, a, a, an epic length amount of things happen, and then we also get to have this coda in a different style. Speaking of Black Book, it's one of my favorite films that we never talked about in the show. We do need to have a retrospective of some of his greatest works. Uh, Black Book, yeah, however, Hoven. yes, of course. Black Book, however, is a more plot-driven film rather than character-driven film. This is a heavily character-driven film, and it's it not is, just the true. latest parts that are meditative. There are entire segments where there would be Sheeran on a plane or Anna Paquin, who we're going to get to in a moment, just sitting there contemplating so much of the story is told through glares and looks and contemplation and i love that because it allowed performers with incredible range to evoke great things but moreover you look back to the controversy over once upon a time in hollywood earlier in the year where margot robbie didn't get other lines but no she managed to do so much as the tarantino with if it was respect to some characters limited dialogue and just allowing them to be reflective and that was worked to much more profound effect here i think this film actually like the i think this film actually um is a ton of dialogue you'd be hard-pressed oh, to find is. a film with more dialogue than this film ever <laughs> honestly <laughs> like people it's the the stuff with Anna Paquin you're talking about is actually it's the latter more meditative part yeah. of the film and I'm talking about great in this but um yeah yeah she's great everyone's fantastic um in, in terms of performances I'd say Pacino was probably my favorite me too it's um probably it's one of his better performances it's up there almost with his Corleone yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, he, he was incredible. Of and you really grow to like this character in spite of all his flaws being laid right there on the table. And 
yeah, he's just so charismatic. It's and it, it's a perfect channeling of the kind of outsized performance that Pacino loves to give. Can you get an idea of who he was and the incredible significance of his figure in the middle half of the 20th century? Okay, so the question I have, it's I haven't seen it, but you know, before going in to see it, and the question I think a lot of people would have had, or would have had, or would have, I don't know, tense. Anyway, is that Scorsese is making another gangster movie? Is it worth it? it well, it's absolutely worth it. It is a gangster film in some respects, and certainly people will be it inclined to <laughs> draw. Inclined to draw. Not not in every respect, but in most respects, and people will be inclined to draw the is Goodfellas analogy. It's no, it's not. Okay. And I think it, part of the reason for this is simply that. It doesn't follow the narrative too strongly or the visual language of Goodfellas, to a lesser extent, Casino. This is, is it may appear to be one of his least visually invented films. It's Certainly his most there visually paired back film, I think, oh. in a long time. I rewatched The Age of Innocence last week, and even that, which is a plaintive, meditative movie, all relying on um, a, a intimation rather than anything overt, has these visual flourishes where they suddenly zoom in on the Michelle Pfeiffer character or on the... Day-Lewis character Archer. Um, Goodfellas have those famous sort of voice service, hey, I want to be a gangster. There's a very not, little of that here. Th- this is, you know, there's very little camera movement. Um, the, the shots are quite simple at medium medium length. It, it's much more classical, but to compare it to his other gangster films, this one feels much more like a coda. This one, I think, is following up on the themes that he was exploring in his last film, Silence, um, in that it's very much about like what can we be forgiven for this is definitely an old man's movie you know it's framed by the protagonist as an old man and the that different perspective it gives is instead of being about the rush of the moment like goodfellas or casino this is about what you know is the weight of sin um it casts the rest of the film in another light even if that aspect of the film really just becomes more and more of a factor towards the end on the matter of sin there's a a couple of stated themes running through this film and one is uh, drawing an analogy between um, actions in war certainly the character Frank Sheard is shown to be an actor in the second world war and what uh, persons involved in criminal elements wanted to take and it says is there really a difference in morality between what a government might order and what a a criminal or a gangster may order and it's a fascinating yeah. discussion which Scorsese certainly has the maturity and depth to go into well, without that, being hackneyed that, this is what makes the, the character interesting for the most of the movie Robert De Niro his character Frank Sheeran the Irishman is, is pretty blank the link that Glenn's talking about about the war is I think that Scorsese is sort of saying both cases it's just somebody pledging their allegiance to a power structure that says do what we tell you to do even if that involves killing um, in exchange for rewards. And the, a, a ring that De Niro is given, you know, is sort of like being given a, a Victoria Cross or something, you know, like it's some Medal of Honor. And at the end of the film, I think he's, without giving away the, the movie, it's sort of a position of like, what are, what are all those rewards worth? You know, you get, you, you go to the end of the line doing what you're told and then what? But there's a tragedy that this character who is is caught or feels caused to follow Sock, and he's someone who we see throughout is used. He's a tragic figure. Um, I I, I would I wouldn't go so far as, as to call him a useful idiot, but there are elements where we see. In people... some ways, I think he kind of is depicted that way. Like yeah, his his virtue sad. is that it's... he just doesn't ask questions, but then that yeah. comes back to haunt him. 
you know, as we see, and we see these themes play out in many much comic book law. Suddenly, the Punisher um, is based oh, on man. the idea. Scorsese can't escape being spoken about next to comic books now, for, for God's sake. <laughs> it's it's a fair analogy, but no, I mean, we're not getting into the whole Scorsese comic book. But yes, there are many characters in comic book law, particularly those who come from a law enforcement background, who are inclined to just follow orders, and they see them branch off and and into good or bad vigilantism. It's still going on, yeah. by the way. So uh, now it's, no, yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating how that debate has not died down. Yeah, I wasn't trying to bring that up, but yes, it is still some that debate separate to that point is somehow still going on. Um, on the matter of violence. It's notable how violence is depicted here, and it's it's a very graphic film. Removed from and, the violence, but n- not even that. The violence we see him shoot characters and then shoot him again, but it's not you know we want to see violence. It's just there's a clinical element to it, yeah. which is once it's removed, but a step of remove and also a, a lingering on the aftermath, because yeah. really lingering on the aftermath is what this film is about. I would say it, you know the the weight of all these images of people's empty faces after they've been shot I think are supposed to stay with you in your mind as we reach the end of this guy's life and he's thinking about what is the weight of my actions um, yeah I really enjoyed this film but that we haven't spoken about the CGI which I guess is a, oh it's fine look, it's, I, it's not distract it's distracting initially and then it's you you get you get into it I guess it's a good sign about the film that we haven't spoken about that um, you are because it is a good story, well told. You are able to look past that aspect of the film, but yeah, it looks bad. Um, Robert De Niro always looks old. I think because they've actually filmed him and layered CG over his face, it's impossible to really make him look that young. So when they're calling him like young man, he still looked like forty, fifty. I really think it would have been stretching the effects to breaking point to take him any younger. So there's this a bit of a strange effect of him always seeming a bit old. It, it bothered me at the beginning. I got into the room certainly as the film progresses and wrote up very quickly between five errors. I didn't find it too distracting, partly because of Nero's talent as an actor. And yes, to a great extent, what we see later in the film in terms of the quality of the CGI, where it bothered me more was you see particularly one scene where he's uh, beating up a fellow or scenes where it's quite to be physical. You can see that he's, he's old. supposed to be a 30-year-old. That's it. But he's playing, but it's he's clearly an over. older man. Yeah. He's hunched over. 30-year-olds, especially yeah. ones who are active and, and muscle don't move like that. I think this is why most of the film, I think, I wonder if this is a factor in most of the film being shot in medium shot. It's so that you don't have to focus on how much the, the how the characters actually move around. Yeah, he looks old, he's hunched over, he has a kind of oldish flabby face always. Um, I The question is, why did Scorsese do this? And I think it's because it's such a non-linear approach with time that it would be distracting to see a, suddenly a different actor is, you know, is De Niro for like 15 seconds, then we cut back. You know, films that have a you know different actors playing the character in different time spans give you a lot of time to get used to the idea that oh, Bruce Willis is now Joseph Gordon-Levitt or whatever. Oh, that was a mistake. It's it's, it's fine to imagine that Joseph Gordon-Levitt would turn into Bruce Willis later. Yeah, really, but I I appreciate that you wanted De Niro to do this and to play that, even but if there was some give. It's, it's a trade-off, in, yeah. you know, that you. you um, if you want to be non-linear with the timeline, have a voiceover that can constantly like take me back to my days in the war and then back to now and then this happened 20 years ago, you want to see the same face throughout. Yeah. And so I understand why Scorsese thought having these actors play it is how he wants it to be. And it, it's kind of interesting because it's much easier for a young person to play an old person. The prosthetics, mm-hmm. if they're done well, can actually be, you know, can be really good. Um, but Scorsese, I think, wanted performances that could only be brought out by guys who have 
experience of life. And who so, had that working relationship with? And, and, yeah, and, and, and it's just now a made pleasure it possible. to see De Niro and Pacino to do what and Keitel and everyone on the screen together. Yeah, CG's made it possible to do the opposite of what we normally do with prosthetics, and that's this film, for better or worse. So that is The Irishman. It's really funny, by the way. Oh, yeah, there's a scene involving a fish in the back of a car. It's no, pure look, gold. It's just um, the... It, the useful idiot kind of blankness of De Niro we were talking about is a great comic instrument when you pair it up against the explosiveness of Al Pacino. You know, the, like there's this scene... Oh, God. I, I won't get into examples, but there's that kind of intricacy of dialogue where these guys um, have such rigid codes and then suddenly get into these heated arguments about some petty thing. Similar humor we, to what we've seen in Goodfellas and Casino. <laughs> it's like a trademark of his gangster films now, but the um, the comic timing is so good and the actors are so onto this script. Yeah, it's, it's a great film. And it is sc- streaming on Netflix from November 27. Do seek it out and do, if you can, do enjoy it in one sitting because it deserves to be seen as the epic it is. We will be back in a moment talking the report, Ford versus Ferrari, and Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call. The Bad, the, Lieutenant. The Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. Stay tuned. On the Money is recommended for mature audiences only. It may and probably will contain explicit financial language, strong business themes, economic violence, coarse financial accounting, nudity, and credit references. 2SCR recommends discreet listening once per week at 7 p.m. Thursdays. We're living longer than ever with increasing needs to maintain health, wealth, and wellness. To share information on these topics, the Chamber of Commerce CBD Sydney have organised Helping You and Your Family Age Well, a seminar from 5.30pm on November 21 at Clarence Chambers, 133 Castle Ray Street, Sydney. Join us to discuss ideas and options for you, your business and especially older members of your family. To register for a free ticket, email info at 2ser.com or call 9514 9514. The Japanese Film Festival returns with the best in new Japanese cinema. Become housemates with Jesus and Buddha in St. Young Men's 2nd Century or discover Okinawan rituals in Born, Bone, Born. No matter the film, you're sure to gain a new perspective on Japanese cinema. Screening November 14th to 24th at Event Cinemas George Street. See the full program at japanesefilmfestival.net. Sponsors of 2SER. Welcome back to Film Fight Club, where we are talking The Report. Yes, The Report is a fascinating film, which I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it turned out to be. So, The Report is going to be streaming on Amazon Prime from November 29th, which is just after The Irishman. But it is basically the anti-Zero Dark Thirty. It is uh, directed by Scott Z. Burns. It premiered at Sundance Film Festival earlier this year. And it is basically following... A Senate intelligence staffer, played by Adam Driver, who is tasked with the report, which is essentially the report uncovering the supposed uh, torture crimes committed by the CIA after 9-11 and the effectiveness of those techniques to find out how they actually effective were they and the cover-ups by successive governments in the Republican and Democratic Party. What is most interesting about this film is probably its political allegiance or its non-political allegiance. It is seemingly seemed to be a left liberal leaning kind of a narrative, but it isn't. It's equally critical of both sides. So in that sense, it's actually quite 
non-partisan in its approach, and it's quite different to see, based on so many films coming out this year about you know American patriotism and stuff like that, it is interesting to see how this, this film plays quite straight and non-political in its allegiances, and it's quite critical of the CIA as an organization. So Adam Driver is very, very good in a very paired-by performance. It is a very dialogue-heavy film, much like The Irishman, but once again, you kind of see uh, it doing pretty well. You'll catch it anyway in Amazon Prime. Uh, just go watch it. It's more interesting. Yeah, but yeah, if you miss it in theaters, no big deal. Okay. Uh, if you miss Ford v. Ferrari in, in theaters, no big deal. But it's, <laughs> it's probably most fun in that environment. Um, it was, this was kind of a strange film. And, um, okay, it wasn't a strange film. It was completely ordinary. I should say that its politics, <laughs> uh, its politics are weird because the, it's so formulaic right um every scene in for the first 20 minutes or so seems to be i am character this is my motivation this is my relationship to you here are the stakes <laughs> like you can just see the gears turning and how it's written it's just so thuddingly all right we've been here before with all the sports movies movie clichés and the narrative is um if there's a, a villain in this story it's the um the corporate interference that's stopping good guy Matt Damon, Carol Shelby from helping Ken Miles be the best he can be racing a, a Ford at the Le Mans 66, right? So it's not Ferrari. It's the actual corporate kind of uh, enterprise. So it's not Ferrari in no, itself. No, it's, it's Ford. Well, it's the corporate structure of Ford, right? Okay. But the, the, co- the corporate suits who funded this whole enterprise are kind of la- uh, portrayed as the bad guys, right? But the movie also tries to make Ferrari into the bad guys. For what reason? What Because they're snooty Europeans or something? When the, it's championing Christian Bale's Ken Miles and Shelby as great guys because they are not interested in the bureaucracy and they're doing their best to push the limits of racing and shut themselves out from that kind of negative interference. It, it's but a Ferrari... Amer- it's a great American story, right? It's Americans versus Europeans. Right, right, right. Yeah. But, Ferrari, but Ferrari actually embody those uh, things that it's celebrating about Bale and Damon's characters. Ferrari are the guys who turn down Ford, um, trying to buy them for cheap when they're struggling financially, which is what spawns the entire we-must-beat-Ferrari-at-Le-Mans thing. It's just petty corporate um, battle because uh, some, you know, heir of a billionaire's feelings were hurt. Henry Ford II played in this film by Tracy Letts. So why not celebrate Ferrari, you know? Why do we have to have the, like, try and make Enzo Ferrari look like a Mussolini figure and try and depict all all his people as, as, you know, like the bad guy when, you know, like, be respectful. If, If corporate interference is a bad thing, these guys are... These guys like embody that. Anyway, um, you know they're they're run as like a medium sized business, and they're doing things their way and not selling out. The race scenes are cool. There's nothing else to say really. It's so normal. <laughs> it's, it's so it's, ordinary. It's just like two and a half hours, which surprised me. It flies me. by. It flies by because it's a very fast paced movie. Yes, and yes, it's very fast paced. <laughs> um, I liked the intricacy of, um, and I wish we delved more into that of how these cars are built, how they're tested, 
um, the ins and outs of creating a great race car. And man, Michael Mann was once attached to this project. Imagine how nitty gritty and intense uh, vision of the obsession to be the best we could have had if he made this film. Anyway, we can only dream. That's Ford versus Ferrari. As it is, it's, it's like a perfect watch it on a plane movie. But the car <laughs> races are cool in the cinema. Well shot. And it's screening from Thursday in cinemas. Well, everywhere. The last one we were talking about this week, thanks to Sean from Shepparton, and said, send in your movie fights. Tell us what you want us to fight about. Is the bad lieutenant Port of Paul New Orleans. So it's no longer Sean from Geelong? Yes, we were the bad lieutenant. That. The bad lieutenant. Okay. And it is starring Nicolas Cage, not Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel was in the original, the aforementioned Harvey Keitel. It's got nothing to do with the original film. Bad Lieutenant was this intense, I am a tortured cop, Dark Knight of the Soul kind of thing. And this is this is something else. This is something else. It is starring Nicolas Cage, Eva Mendes, Val Kilmer. It is directed by Werner Herzog. It was made about 10 years ago, and Nicolas Cage is the titular Bad Lieutenant. Uh, he Wait, not 10 years, 20. No, 10 years ago. It was 2009, wasn't oh, sorry, it? Sorry, yeah. 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 And he wanders through New Orleans, um, a law unto himself. Sometimes he try he ostensibly tries to solve crimes. Sometimes he just, you know, finds drugs out there uh, from respective criminals he seeks and drugs and seeks drugs and just so he can have yeah. a hit and and just because uh, his addiction I, is drives a lot of what he does. I, I don't think he ever tries to solve any crimes. It's just that he's trying to yeah, seek drugs and the, the, the crimes crime, happen the, around him. Yeah, the, the crime is just... Um, incidental. It becomes, yeah, it's incidental. As the movie goes on, it becomes more <laughs> and more irrelevant, I think, because the entire show is Nicolas Cage's antics. Nick Cage um, being unleashed to play a guy who's just constantly getting too high to function and then pushing further and further and further. To me, this is one of the greatest comedy films of the past 10 years. Definitely one of the funniest. Um, Nick Cage's performance is so absurd. (laughs) um, I I love how his accent changes throughout the movie. And there's this priceless part at the beginning where he... New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he jumps... (laughs) It's not how people from New Orleans talk. He jumps down to try and save someone during No one has an actual Louisiana... I've graduated from Tulane. I can tell you very few people in this movie actually have a Louisiana accent. Okay. Cage jumps... Cage jumps down a level uh, trying to save someone from water. Smash cut to the close-up of the x-rays of his spine as he's told he'll be in pain for life. So this uh, motivates his thirst for drugs as well as his hunch. But really those are just expressionist elements that get increasingly exaggerated as the movie goes on. He walks with more and more of this like Quasimodo hunch. He's in this massively oversized suit. And the, white, he's got the white suit is hilarious. With this that. enormous gun hanging out of his pants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're, like, we're talking we're, about his actual gun, guys. Which he's not very careful with it. Very the way he picks it up. Oh, it, to me, it's so funny. Just watch, like, just watching Nick Cage get more and more exaggerated. His accent changing. He, he can barely even talk properly. Um, he can barely move properly. All right. I liked Nick Cage in this movie. He has a, a, a lot uh, going for him. There's a lot of very funny moments. The problem is this film, the milieu of it, the way it is directed, the way it is put together, it is not set to match him. Yes, he's an exaggerated figure, but the entire tone and direction of this film is still a relatively grim, downbeat crime floor. And yes, it jumps all over the place. It is but a backdrop, but it operates within a very procedural mold and there are moments of great absurdity and i say moments i listed them i listed the funny moments in this movie there are a few there's about eight to ten minutes of just look pure nicholas cage the gold is, the th- but the movie is two hours long the there's, thing is there's just okay more. let me let, let no, me i listed them i've got them here let me put this out there 
if you're not on board uh, in on the tone of this film in the first like two and a half minutes when Nicolas Cage is like going through the photographs uh, of this of this naked uh, oh person. yeah 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 and if you don't understand <laughs> this film with a the comedy then then you've already lost all right if you're not on board uh, right then then you will never be on board because that is okay. exactly what the are the funny is, moments according to Glenn. <laughs> a funny moments. I will get into the first. I want to talk that was more very about first the tone. funny moments because, like, it wasn't funny. It was funny. There, there are other funny moments, but I want to talk first. The way he the dismisses tone. Like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of this movie, and I would compare if Werner Herzog. Go back and watch. Okay, don't go back and watch Jack Reacher. It's a terrible film. Are you seriously talking about Jack Reacher in order to describe <laughs> Werner Herzog's filmography? I'm. Well, he was. Werner Herzog yeah, was he's in, in it. it. There yes, was a gr- it's was like, a, I'm drawing an analogy with one particular scene. It's a grisly film. There is a scene in the movie. Wow, yeah. There's a scene in the movie where Herzog, this really intense figure, says, "You must eat your fingers to survive, like I did," and that just reached a level of absurdity where, where it was quite funny in and of itself. And these were the better moments in this film. Otherwise, in that film, Herzog was a weary, dreary character um, who was not operating the register of the rest of the film. And this is my issue with Bad Lieutenant. This film is not dreary at all. It's operating at a level of irony where it's constantly... Individual sequences. It's only because of Nicolas Cage. It's nothing to do with the direction. It's it's definitely to do with the direction. The the film constantly throws things like the the um, when you've got the guy with dwarfism randomly walking past the camera at the start of a serious scene. He's called midget, isn't he? The guy running around (laughs) spitting... (laughs) <laughs> like spraying out like drinking liquor and spitting yeah. and like Nick Cage in the background with his furrowed face or the guy entering through a window in the middle of a scene or the it's iguanas. constantly it's full of and the, the iguana close up the, the alligator in the middle of the road I'm, it's I'm constantly gonna get, I'm gonna get to the iguanas and Nicolas Cage the, with animals the direction is constantly throwing absurd things around you to create an absurd world so we're gonna be talking more about Bad, the Bad Lieutenant Protocol in the Orleans on the podcast the reporters in cinemas later this week, and then on Amazon Prime. The Irishman, I heard you paint houses, is streaming on Netflix from November 27th, and Ford v Ferrari is in cinemas from Thursday. We'll be back next week with more Film Fight Club. Let us know what you want us to fight about. Pick a fight with us anytime. And yeah, we're happy for anything. This is, and, and for our movie of the week segment, this has been Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans, and Bharat Nehru. Stay safe. Good night. Have a wonderful night, and enjoy movies. And we're back on Film Fight Club. So I promised to list the things that I thought were good or funny about this film. I have. I've got a list here. So I'm going to say the things that, the moments I enjoyed. Uh, first of all, animals. Every seed involved, with the exception of the Priceless. crocodile. You oh, so alligator, which we'll get to. With the exception of the alligator. We'll get to that in the... That was hilarious. That, that was, was not hilarious. It was completely tangential to the film. Yeah. Unlike the iguana sequence, which the was outstanding. The no, film was just, tangential is, to the film, Yeah, Glenn. it is tangential, but it is also... I, there's something shocking and funny about we see this massive car pile up with a dead alligator in the middle of the road, which is still twisting, like still twitching. Yeah, and then we suddenly see from the alligator's perspective at the end of the scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, well this doesn't tell us anything about anyone, and that effect that was used twice in the film. You, you couldn't use it twice. It worked the second time because it was just so funny. But the alligator sequence, no. There was no relevance to the conflict Nicolas Cage was having But why with does it the have to be relevant? Officer. Why can it not just be enjoyable because this movie has gone on a tangent was, to show us the perspective of an alligator but, and when do movies do but that? But it was enjoyable because it was relevant and we were engaged in his character because we, we were being told about him because we were into his psyche at this moment. That was better. With the iguana, it was more insight than to, into his psyche than we got at almost any other point in the film. It was not comparable to the alligator who, and the cage, he wasn't even but in the, the scene. But again, okay, why okay. is that a problem? Okay, why okay. is it a problem? Problem that the alligator is, I, I, is I, I, weird. I, I, th- I think I've, I've 
uncovered this. I think I know why Glenn hates this movie. Yeah. Hate is a strong word, but I think... I don't, I don't hate this movie. I just dislike most of it. Strong dislike. Okay, let's go with that. Uh, I think because Glenn is searching for some kind of coherence or reason... Yeah, this movie's a lot in, 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 in a narrative which I like, is just I think like, this movie's kind of a practical joke. Yeah, which is just like, you know, it's like a... I'm know, not searching for coherence. I'm not searching for something linear. Yeah. I'm fine with something all over the place. And I'm happy to talk about Color Out of Space, a much no, no, no. better Nicolas but, Cage but, film, but, which is not a coherent but, but, film by the standards you've just set. But even then, you, you're seeking for some kind of relevance in the scenes to come together or something. You know, why? But like the thing, for me, it's, the alligator thing just works because it ties into, the, like, it's this surreal thing that has you go, what the hell? And then it kind of ties into the later on reptile point of view thing and then makes me think, oh, was the earlier scene also just reflective of Cage's yeah, psyche? Like, the, there's the, these alligators the whole, at the side then, of the, the thing. That sequence should have played and now later. Moved in. No, 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 but the whole film is asking you to question the perspective and uh, whether or not you know cage is just yeah completely like like the bit where he's imagining where is it the funeral the funeral scene that opens with the guy walking around drinking spirits and then spitting and in the you can just see nick cage in the background with his massive scowl yeah that was fine that was, that was <laughs> but, but also like but, 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 that, but by that point we'd already have so many sequences of him just either looking play, looking upset or or having just the big oversized okay, white but suit that's, um, but that's um, that's that's the comedy. Like for me, like every time you see it, it gets funnier because, like, just the why, which is never answered. Sometimes it was funny, and I have those moments here. I'm, I'm going to drop a hot take here. This film is actually interesting, also because it is probably closer to depiction of uh, recreational use of alternate substances, much in a much more realistic way this than is a, a lot of other films. Stoner movie, you know, like, well, because, thank you, because, thank you, because Chris, it's got no plot. <laughs> it's just watching Nick Cage get higher and higher. But the thing is, like, physical comedy. But the thing is, like, a lot of films miss the point because they think Stoner movies have to be like super psychedelic. But actually, you know, the idea that it, this film is equally trying to be coherent, and then there are moments of incoherence, are exactly how probably most a ba- yeah. like a trip is. Like, you know, you're trying to feel like you know, you are in control, but you're not completely in control. Which is exactly what the film is all about. There are moments <laughs> of coherence and control. And, and the, the iguana sequence gives you that, but the sequence of the alligator just but, flipping around. No, but, but that's the thing. Gives there are moments nothing. when you think that you're back it, in no, reality. No, it doesn't give you nothing. It gives you the priceless image of an alligator it wasn't flipping price. around. It wasn't, it wasn't actually very well shot. It's a not a distinct visual language from the film. And you know, the quality of the image in those moments wasn't very good compared to the capturing of the iguana. But it's, Do you, it's the imagination. I'm talking about just the, the thing of like we the scene emerge begins with this long shot of an allig- of like a pileup of cars. It begins, oh, so it begins with, the cars. with a long pileup. Car, it, with the alligator on the road and all these cars piled up and then at the end of it we see one of the alligator's brethren but that's the thing how do you write it? watching how, the scene how, how from how the side how do you write that how do you write that yeah I, no, I, i'm wondering yeah but that's the thing it, it, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful mastery of your craft <laughs> that can allow you to <laughs> seamlessly think that from one moment you're there in the, the heart so, of the drug thing like, is like the way i view a moment like that is it adds to the texture of the film it didn't really yeah you can say it's not directly relevant to Nick Cage's character in a way that's clear but it also wasn't really incongruous with what the film was doing either I you know for me it's just, that kind of thing is just like an an interesting tangent that adds to the the weirdness of the of the world that Herzog is depicting here except there are the equivalent moments which were somewhat better weren't told from um, another perspective entirely and what I relished about this film in some stretches was being surrounded Nick Cage. We just had the scene where there's this real conflict with him and a patrol officer and then suddenly here um, this actually inconsequential and 
very irrelevant. You could have cut it. Unlike the iguana scene, I don't feel it would have had an it would have less it would have, it wouldn't lessen the impact of the film. Um, moving to some of the scenes, there's something about great actors working with animals. Every scene, with the, with the, with we talked about in my view. Every scene with Nicolas Cage with an animal is great. The iguanas was my favorite scene in the movie. Um, it's almost as fun as hearing, hearing Nicolas Cage say alpaca as he did in Color Out of Space. And he had great interaction with some of them there. But the iguana sequence, pure gold. Everything with the dog, um, him riding with the dog oh, in man, the car right. was great. So funny. It was great. Yeah. Um, and, and the apartment with the dog, absolutely, absolutely loved it. The, uh, the scene involving fish, we're just going to say, a lot of them was yep. great. There's a, a really enjoyable. Um, can we also yeah? Can we also acknowledge how good Eva Mendes was in this movie? I mean, people always talk about the other guys as her definitive. But here's the thing: she's better in the only is she better in the other guys, but the other guys is simply taking the piss out of movies like this and doing it well, and still being better. No, no, but it's no, no, not. No, 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 this movie, not. This you, movie you're missing the, the point of the movie. Of, yeah, this yeah, movie taking the, the piss out of itself. This movie is ironic. It's it's akin more to something like, like American Starship. Psycho. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, or like Starship Troopers, in that it appears to be appears to be playing to a pulp genre but is not taking that at all and you, you know this isn't making a political point like starship troopers but it i think it's kind of like skewering the conventions of the genre by within like this is a pulp i'm a bad cop movie and so it's got to feature the the you know the intense he's crossing the line interrogation but, scene but, no, but the way this film does it is to play it with old ladies it's and, always just kind of skewering the way to. that the genre works but, but, for the weird comedy but the tone it, it, of it, it, starship it, troopers was clear it was clear what they were going for even if it was hyper exaggerated and not stated here where the tone is very this, clear here, it, i think it, the tone is very clear as well clear at all i think there are sequences where it is clear larger due to cage and otherwise it's just these shots of the swamps or else which is supposed to deflate you it's not supposed to uplift you in a way that an intentionally ironic film is supposed to get at you or get okay. you get under your skin it's, it's not an uplifting ha 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 lo 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 kind of film yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not what I mean that's not <laughs> what I mean by comedy. that's not what I mean by uplifting it's black comedy though right because yeah. like it's comedy of okay, like, it, probably the, more black part of the comedy. point of this movie is this guy is hilariously evil and gets rewarded for but it. But the black yeah. comedy comes from incongruity, which was some of the sequences of the animals and the interrogation scene, which Chris just referenced, which we'll get to in a sec. But the incongruity like isn't LA there financial. when it's just him driving around or meeting with people who are as negative, the Val Kilmer character, as he is. Or I some disagree. Of the drug dealers I think he deals there's, with. I think the Val, like... It's not always as explosively funny as it is when Cage is going on a rant, but I think there's there's the kind of like veiled irony and comedy to all sorts of things like you talk about, like the Val Kilmer character. Chanel pointed out when we watched did this rewatch that um, it's so goddamn funny that at the beginning of the movie, like he, <laughs> all right, sorry, he, for some reason his character <laughs> is just so evil. Like in the interrogation scene, he slaps the guy, and then at the end of the movie. He's telling Nicolas Cage to just shoot a dude yes. when, the, when there's cops everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, why? No, no, why? But, but the thing is, like, everything is just ridiculous. But the yeah, thing yeah, is, like, yeah. Consistent, consistent approach to character. Great. No, no. But the thing is, he's telling him to shoot a dude because he's like, these people are so evil, they're gonna get away with it. So might as well kill them now. So in, in a way, it's, it's doing it in a good hearted way. But Val Kilmer <laughs> isn't operating at that level. No one is operating the level of this film is intended to require except for Cage, who in his more exaggerated moments, because he has allowed the space to show that truly incongruous, um, gets the irony and gets the comedy. But every other moment, even the sequence where but, he, um, some, we, we pull someone, some, a lot of times we pulls people over, it just reads as a regular sad 
oh dear, you didn't we're in this. Think the pulling him of, of look, I, and, it, and, look and and it's depressing. It's a it's a look. I think that the movie does. Um, their their only sort of seriousness is when it's times he pulls people over. I think the film does have a kind of slightly buried beneath the perp the surface serious point going on, which is here's a bunch of corrupt white cops who are just riding rough shot over poor black people. Yeah, because I mean, constantly like poor black people are getting screwed over. Like like when the football guy gets pulled over and he's saying like, "Come on, man, are you going to seriously ruin my life over like a tiny bit of weed?" And and, and, and that was the scene I was referring to. It's a serious yeah, yeah. moment. It's not that is a serious last, moment. But, I'll but, agree. But, but though, but that tone is predominant throughout a lot of the runtime. Run I don't think and, so. And you look at the comparison between there's two sequences where he encounters um, the two ladies. And he's interrogating one of them regarding the whereabouts of a grandson. One um, is not played for laughs, it's played very seriously. And it's more consistent with the earlier interrogations in the interrogation room a lot more. And that is contrasted with the later sequences, sequence involving that pair, which was hilarious. Okay. When he appears behind the door, and is waving the gun and threading them, just going completely the fir- over the top. Okay. And that scene was great. All right. So you're saying that the first scene with the grandparents was really serious? With the old old people was really serious was being played like seriously with with the with the exception of one comic note in the scene the I would guy, say yes the guy coming in the window yes does that like I I I feel like and even that it would have been funnier if he just decided to come in there's like oh you're here but no he came in purposefully okay so it undercuts what otherwise could have been a great comic beat this is, this I disagree actually... I was laughing so hard I could barely breathe when the guy came in through the window okay but it, it wasn't because like, it's so dramatic because it's like he do, he doesn't just like sneak in he does this like whoosh thing with the curtains <laughs> and he enters right in the middle of the frame and none of the characters know how to respond okay okay I'm, I'm, like I'm, I'm, like what yeah, more does the scene need if it's funny. got that big a laugh in it okay I've, I've sort of got, got where both of you are coming from I think Chris and Glenn you both have different approaches to what you're looking for in a yeah I, I was kind of lost for words before because I was like cinema, I can't just like right? convey why it works like for, for Glenn if, something like along the veins of art of self-defense or like I'm not looking long. for anything no 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 I'm not but but like, like the, I'm taking the film of, as it is the and I'm prepared the, to do the that the thing with the other guy's comparison it, it's illuminating because they're completely different they're both I think skewering things but the other guy's is much more like sort of this is a parody whereas the bad lieutenant is this kind of strange ironic place where it's simultaneously trying to fulfill the obligations of the genre and like be an example of that and also sneak in this kind of like it's a surreal am i on drugs while i'm watching a normal cop movie and this is what i hallucinated kind of approach can you imagine if he'd gone as over the top in the early sequences so the sequence in the chemist where it weighed the emphasis was on the terrible situation the individuals in the shop were in if he'd gone as over the top that scene was really funny maybe it just reflects poorly on me as a person but 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 i thought i thought like nick cage going you know i've been in line excuse me you know i've been waiting for 40 minutes can i get my prescription it comes because it's sad it's sad but it's also funny because it's the first time you see him in his goddamn costume with his oversized suit yeah. and it frames his hunch from behind like uh, uh, ironically uh, now, now that you said it like that it kind of reminds me of of joker and like and, and everything joaquin phoenix is speaking about in that kind of voice anyway yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah and you know what this film could have emphasized uh, the comic care beats. about society this film could have <laughs> emphasized its comic beats better if it was a tad shorter it's an hour 58 minutes and there are whole stretches you could have cut out 
Um, because as has been said, this film, the plot is largely irrelevant. It wanders between this and that. Therefore, you could have taken bits out about the land deal. You could have taken bits out about one of the drugs. You could have, aside from, and yes, it gave us the one great line, his soul is dancing. You could have taken the whole scene out involving um, those particular gangs. Oh, man. But, the, but, but, the that, thing, but that's, the, how the reason... the, that's how the crime's resolved. Okay. Oh, the, the two gangs meeting each other scene, yeah. you mean? Yeah. yeah. But like... Again, the soul is dancing line and, and the resulting um, physical comedy we see coming from that, great. The, re- oh, re- no the reason, the reason yeah. kind of, I think why this film largely works for me is the fact that it's not played like a gag a minute comedy. I agree. Right? You know, the fact that it is serious and there are like these sprinkles of comedic absurd moments actually make the film funnier. I agree. Because the the issue for me with a lot of comedy is that it feels like it's always trying to be funny. And I yeah, I, the, I appreciate the, that this yeah. movie only sort of tries to be funny when they feel like they've really got something that'll work, as opposed or, to like or falling even, over or, itself or trying to make actually, you laugh. Which I, too many yeah. comedies, even funny ones, do. They stretch a little bit too yeah. far with lame and, and lines. I, and, I, and I don't think I think on a script level, I, I don't think Herzog was like, you know, oh, I'm trying to be funny here. He was just like, oh, you know, this is something that a person who's now at stretching beyond like their physical powers of concentration would kind of feel at this point. And it has to be built up and released and built up again and released yeah, again. Yeah, I think it's clear right? that a lot of the things I think are funny about this movie are like improv that was done on set. Yeah. I think it has that feeling of like, we've worked through these scenes and like how can we like add something improv, ab- yeah. absurd to it? And, but, and, I, a, and, and I'm sure a lot of that was just Cage being Cage. If Cage hadn't been in this movie, it would be completely boring. Well, the, thing, oh, yeah. the movie would not have been made without Cage. The story is that... Herzog said, I'll only do this movie if Nick Cage says yes. And well, Nick Cage said, I'll only do this movie if Herzog is directing. Well, he lives like around the corner in New Orleans, so... Right. It was very the, convenient. The, the bit... Look, this time when I watched it, um, something... The funniest takeaway for me was something that I didn't even remember from it before, which for me illustrates that this just keeps getting funnier. Um, <laughs> it's when he's in the... When he's in the evidence room... <laughs> And by this, oh, with Michael Shannon too. Yes, great addition to this. Yeah, Uh, playing a similar role as he did in, uh, uh, well, first shadow war. No, no. Um, I'm thinking of. It's fine. Continue. Yeah, Nick Nick Cage is in the evidence room, and he's trying. He's at this point in the film, his voice has gotten really distracted. He, you know, his voice has gotten weird because he can't move his mouth muscles right, presumably, (laughs) and his voice, his, his walk has gotten really stiff. And people are coming in and out of the evidence room and just sort of looking but trying to ignore Nick Cage, who's trying to hide from the security camera as he's trying to get in drugs. And it's so absurd because what he's doing makes no sense at all in terms of, you know, his actual mission of get drugs without you yeah. know, and look casual. So what he's doing instead is kind of stiffly standing against the wall with his arms spread out and his legs spread out, locked in place, and kind of like slowly moving his head around the corner into the camera's line of sight and then hiding up against the wall again. And um, people are walking in and just right. like, okay, okay. That scene past. was funny, but I think in spite of the way you describe it, I think if you could give it a little too much credit, there's actually a lack of spatial awareness in the scene. So you're not really aware of what is the boundary, where you can move, what are the stakes. And I wish there had been. They would have made it a whole ton funnier. But I can, I can acknowledge it, it, that I think you're right. That would have made it funnier. But even as it is, the I movie think just the physical care- comedy of yeah. what Nick Cage is doing for me was like was enough but that's the thing i don't think this movie cares about those conventional narrative plot points about it's what, more about what, what are the stakes dumb what are, image yeah what are the stakes yeah. whether we've established anything coherent before this, this scene i don't think you're really like actu- that actually this is an anti-narrative movie yeah, in, in a lot of things i don't think you're actually meant to care about any of the characters and that's to- a problem even if it's an ironic comedy yeah, i certainly it, ca- it, i it certainly care about um the characters and starship troopers 
the thing NPH, about Denise Richards. Yeah, look, the, the thing about this movie is it definitely is going for that stoner movie mentality. When I say, um, to illustrate what I'm saying about how I don't think you're meant to care about anyone, is the hilarious... Okay, Glenn might disagree that it's hilarious, but anything involving the spoons scene oh, with Eva Mendes. Oh, okay. There's, there's this that kind was, of okay, moment... Okay, that was funny. I'll give you that. There's but a bo- moment... Both of those sequences yeah, back ending... Nick Cage good. is giving his inspi- inspirational speech about when he was a kid and he used to imagine pirates coming down the river and he had this magic spoon and it feels like it's going to... Then the music's swelling up and it feels like it's do, going do, to... Do, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And you feel like it's going do, to lead to do, some do, do, inspirational point, but, in, but there's nothing nothing and no great moral and it just cuts off and ends and then later on when the spoon res- comes back into it for some reason Nick Cage is using it to rub Eva Mendez's cheek and yeah. she also at the end of the scene picks it up and starts rubbing her cheek like that's just what you do with magic spoons yeah that was that uh, wasn't bad the, the, I just wish the tone I wish the moments of these moments had been so few and far between and so jarring um there's a separate point to this film not talking about the comedy that I actually appreciate and I'll bring back the Jack Reacher comparison again in that there's a hilariously terrible speech where Werner Herzog explains that he's the bad guy, but he what he does, he builds things, he yeah. creates things. And this film, there's a great there's a sequence where Nicolas Cage goes out. I think you could have done without it, but it was um, interesting in of itself, where he goes with one of the gangsters and he says, I'm going to build here. I'm ultimately doing good for the community. And I like the idea in a lot of these crime films about these people, yes, doing bad things, but ultimately wanting to create something, a sense of community and good. Breaking Bad dealt into this very well, and I wish they'd explored it more, but I did appreciate that that theme and narrative was running through the movie, separate to a comedy bona fides or lack thereof. That was that I that I liked, and I wish that had been more evident. It was just, a, as has been said, a tangential nature in what is not a plot-driven film or a film that doesn't value um, a linear or a discernible plot too greatly at all. Yeah. Um, I don't think the film values anything, and that's kind of refreshing. Dumb co- I think I think the only <laughs> thing it really values is dumb comedy. I think there is some... Or itself. Like, yeah. You know, that it's, I, uh, I, like we can just... There's a liberating aspect to it that we can make anything. I agree. We it, really, really it, are allowed to. Yeah, it is kind of can an anti-narrative a, thing. Nick Cage's character a says... A polished Kino Cabaret movie. Right. Oh, Kino Cabaret, yes, we, we happening, that. yes, happening this weekend. But um, before we do, yeah, Nick Cage's character has this line where he talks about... Like, it, it's amazing what you can achieve when you have a simple purpose guiding you through life. And I think you're meant to think that's um, drugs. He, he's saying the case, but it's so obvious that that's drugs at this point in the movie. What does he does a few things to try and solve the case, but in almost every scene of the movie, including the ones when he's trying, trying to solve the case, From he's the also either onwards. taking drugs or trying to get more drugs. Yeah, he's just like, trying- is there anything more to this character than just like, give me drugs? <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's, it's the final. It's, the it's fi- so absurd. Final oh, yeah. reformation, you know, when he's like, "Oh, I think everyone is, you know, his girlfriend is supposedly sober as well." Oh, like, but that's but, another but, uh, funny thing. We're yeah. spoiling the movie now, so if you're going, yeah, we're going bad to spoil Lieutenant. Lieutenant. Spoilers from here in. I thought it was hilarious how after when he finds out his his girlfriend's going to rehab, we then cut to him with this massive frown and the you know the close up like feel my soul sadness in the elevator. <laughs> Like, oh. <laughs> but Be but like, why? Why can't, yeah. why Actually, can't everyone reform but I, me? I, I, I did appreciate the that, that they foreshadowed a negative relationship with the father and, and her. Yeah. But it's like, I'm going to rehab. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. oh, oh no. no. And at the but end, that's funny, bad. Like, how everyone is an alcoholic. Like, yeah. his dad is an alcoholic, his mum is an alcoholic. Yeah, and then at the end, they all go to rehab. Yeah. And even when he meets like the a, guy from the beginning of the movie, he's going to rehab. Yeah. I love that, but... Going into the ending... Such um, an Amy Whitehouse moment. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. 
I was reminded of um, okay. I was reminded of the bit where um, they're at, they're all having dinner and they're toasting him now becoming the bad captain. <laughs> Um, Terence, what's his name? Terence. Terence McDonough. Terence McDonough. They barely mentioned his name like throughout the entire film. Yeah. And suddenly it's Terence McDonough. Oh, who? Oh, Nick Cage. Right. Nick Cage. Right. Yeah. He's he's, he's, being, he's really just playing Nick Cage. Yeah. He's become the bad. Can, can you imagine like being, he lives in New Orleans. Can you imagine just driving around New Orleans and seeing Nick Cage just like, having a Orleans night out? Like, yeah. Oh shit. It's Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he becomes the captain and they toast and it's like, oh no, just sparkling water for us. And it's all smiles, and you're thinking like a nice happy ending. But the thing um, about the ending that is is hilarious for me, and here's an example where I think you can clearly say it's in the direction, not just Nick Cage's performance, is when suddenly um, it's like cosmically Nick Cage is being rewarded for all of the terrible things he's done, and there's an avalanche of of everything working out for him, and then. Um, it, 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 we've got the whoa, 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 whoa guy saying, you know, whoa, whoa, I'm going to pack off. From, and then suddenly he hasn't even left the shot yet when the police captain's head swings into frame to say, great news. Like, in, it's like uh, everything's yeah. happening at once, like everything working out. Yeah, it's like and breakneck speed. Like there's no sense of time passing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's all just hitting. Um yeah, so that that is the bad lieutenant protocol New Orleans. It is now on. It was on Netflix. It's now on. You know, you can buy it on iTunes yeah. and YouTube and whatever. Uh, That's or where you I can rent it. it from a video library and never return it, and then own that copy forever. Please don't do that. Um, that that's that's what happened to me. But yeah, the only the only uh, video store <laughs> Look, is they, Film Club and Darlinghurst, which and, you should totally which you cannot steal from. But no. uh, Video Easy Randwick were going out of business, and I rented Bad Lieutenant, and then it was like, oh, you're closed. I forgot to bring it back. I guess it doesn't matter. And then you get the sixty dollar bill in the mail, <laughs> <laughs> and like, please comply, or we'll be taking you to court. And it's like, ah, oh, well, like, I guess there's worse things than owning Bad Lieutenant. Sorry. The bad lieutenant. Can, can you imagine? Port this is the film you get, you get <laughs> the, drawn up on. The thing is, like, you paid sixty bucks. That's the most expensive. I know Blu-ray. it's so good. To, I have to get my val- my money's worth of it out of it. So, so I guess many more viewings of the bad lieutenant to come. Yeah. yeah. Um, as an aside, it's so absurd that a producer thought it was a good idea to turn Bad Lieutenant into a franchise. That's the reason this film exists. Like, Bad Lieutenant is not a film that has mainstream recognition. Bad Lieutenant is a film that is rated NC-17 in America, which means that Walmart won't carry it. And now, for some reason, there's another Bad Lieutenant film, which has nothing to do with the first, as it should be. So, that is the Bad Lieutenant Protocol New Orleans. That is the Bad Lieutenant. And, uh, yeah, you can catch it, if you so wish, uh, the only criminal he can't stop is himself. And you'd also catch Kino Cabaret, which is on at Sun Studios Alexandria from Friday night through to Monday night. We're going to be there making films all weekend. If you're an experienced filmmaker, we have some fun or a new, new up-and-coming filmmaker or just want to experiment, make some movies with a supportive it's crowd. It's a good 48-hour really film fun. challenge with a supportive crowd. So do head along. We're going to have some fun. And we'll be back next week. Let us know what you want us to fight about. Um, so, uh, there's many other Nicolas Cage films out there. And the report is in cinemas this week, as is Ford and Ferrari and The Irishman, I Heard You Paint Houses. Actually, just, I'm just going to call it I Heard You Paint Houses, is in cinemas, sorry, on Netflix from 
November twenty-seventh. Uh, no, Netflix. no, it's out. It's no, it's not. It's been extended. Oh, it's been extended. Very good. So you can catch it at the Ritz and I think the Orpheum. Yeah. You totally should catch it on the big screen. It's worth it. This has been Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans at Rat Nehru. Have a wonderful night. Stay safe. Enjoy movies. Good night. Bye. Nick Cage. Oh, I should, actually, you know what? As I the, the my favorite. If we're doing an outro and it's Nicholas Cage related, I'm going to say, "Good speed, Stanley. Good speed. <laughs> good, good." Face off. Good sp- <laughs> Cast the Troy. Good night. <laughs>